This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's up, everybody? Welcome to you. It's a good Sunday evening we're recording this, but it could be any time, any day, wherever you are. And we appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to be here with us on the Coast to Coast podcast, one of InsideCarolina.com's multiple podcasts that, that we put out on a regular basis. All sorts of content, all of it good, all of it stuff that we feel like our subscribers, uh, readers, and listeners want to hear from us. And this is a special edition. We did a kind of an NCAA bracket edition of the Coast to Coast podcast last week, and it was so well received, we figured we'd do it again. Special edition this week is the postmortem of this past basketball season. As you know, the Tar Heels took that L to Wisconsin on Friday night, and we brought in uh, another man out of our deep, deep roster of talent. Taylor Vipless is here, and as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan are joining me. Vip, you're first, man. How you feeling? You know, it's an honor just to be here with you guys. I love this time of the year with the NCAA tournament and then uh, going off the NCAA tournament to make the week even better. I booked a trip. I took some PTO days and uh, a couple of buddies got together at Ocean Isle Beach. And I think since Wednesday, I've played 99 holes of golf. So <laughs> it's it's a great time to be Taylor Ripples right now. And I'm a little uh, I'm a little gel, not going to lie to you. Cheryl, how you feeling? You're outside. You got daylight. I mean, you're not you're not bundled up. I'm just jealous, man. Look at Taylor. Look, you know, he plays golf. Yeah. Look at him. He's he's just a man. And you know, <laughs> we're all old and family men. And Taylor's just out living the life. I, I want to live vicariously through you. If I could just have the lettuce Taylor has, I'd be pretty happy. That's that's, that's some nice uh, that's some nice nice dome that you got there, man. Sean, how you feeling? I'm doing well. Uh, created a little uh, sports bar in my driveway this weekend, so I had all the TVs going. Got got a little sunburnt, um, you know. But would have been nice to be uh, be talking about next week's game. So uh, there's that as well. Well, I I know you're heartbroken that there's not a UVA game to talk about, being <laughs> as to your longtime loyalty to Virginia's style of play, and you know I, I hate that you I mean, lost that, but. It, it, it's a it's a long ACC ACC season, knowing that they're you know going to beat everybody for the most part, and you just got to wait for that one game and in, in the first round for them to go out. So that's all it takes. But hey, look, um, before we get rolling, I want to thank everybody for being here. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on however you get your podcast, hey, take a second to stop, rate, and review us, please. Uh, we really appreciate that. That helps us uh, as far as search algorithms go. And we really appreciate the feedback because if we're doing something bad, we want to know about it. If we're doing something good, we want to make sure we keep doing that too. And we want to give a shout out to uh, Johnny T-Shirt, sponsors of this program and all of Inside Carolina's content, locally owned, locally operated, big fans of Inside Carolina. We are big fans of them. Also, Taylor Vipless being brought to us by our guy at Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. 
Um, I actually see Sherrill's mouth watering. I mean, he's there would be there would be an actual praise break right now if he had the <laughs> Jimmy's famous box showing up in his uh, up in his screen at the moment. But shout out to John and everybody up at Jimmy's for what they do. Big Tar Heel fans there. I know he was bummed Friday night uh, to have a birthday with the Tar Heels falling out of the NCAA tournament. He texted me and said it ruined his birthday. <laughs> That's terrible, man. That's <laughs> uh, just for all of our listeners out there. Just know when, when the Tar Heels lose, people feel it. All right. It's, it's not just you guys in our listening and subscriber base. It's all over the place. So uh, we appreciate our sponsors bringing you the show. Guys, we're going to start with the obvious um, and Friday night's ball game. And Wisconsin played phenomenally. Like, I, I don't think that um, that Coach Guard or anybody on their roster would have expected them to come out and shoot the way they did. Shot 50% for the game. Uh, they hit 13 threes. They did a lot of things really, really good. Sherelle, I'm going to come to you first. Could North Carolina have beaten Wisconsin on Friday night without playing one of North Carolina's best games? No, and that's been the whole thing this entire season is that their margin for error was so thin because of all the things we've talked about, the bad shooting, uh, the turnovers, the sometimes the mental mistakes, sometimes the defensive mistakes, all that stuff. Um, if you have issues with that, then you have to play pretty much a, a great game to beat a team when they're playing not as good as they can play, but, but close to it. And uh, North Carolina just wasn't able to take advantage of its size inside uh, against Wisconsin. Basically, uh, it felt like the Wisconsin players, you know, read all about how North Carolina had this great front line. And outside of, you know, a stretch of Armando Baycott there in the second half, I would say the front line didn't play great. Um, against uh, what you would consider, I don't want to say inferior talent, but players who aren't as good as them and guys who don't play, don't have to practice against two other bigs who are really, really good. Uh, so I, I think they they could have uh, they, they could have beaten Wisconsin if Wisconsin played maybe down a notch and Carolina played better. Um, but, you know, that margin for error, like we talked about all year, is just really, really small for them. And I think that's a great point. And just, you know, that long-running theme that we've had this year about how small that margin of error was Sean we talked last week when we saw the brackets come out that this was a tough matchup for the Tar Heels in a sense that veteran guards often rule the day when March comes around the Tar Heels did not have veteran guards they drew a team in Wisconsin who not only had veteran guards had old dudes all over the roster right and, and when I say old dudes the comment was made during the game uh and, and I think it was Spernarkle I can't remember who if, if it was not Spernarkle or Iron Eagle but Wisconsin had an older average team age than Chicago Bulls do right now. And again, that just shows you what a discrepancy in, in the Tar Heels youth, which we've seen all season versus the age of Wisconsin. How do you think outside of Wisconsin getting 50 points out of those, those old guys in their backcourt, how do you think that they were able to use their age to kind of wear on North Carolina and their experience to kind of do things that North Carolina was unable to do? I mean, I think it go. you know, their experience goes in, you know, last week we talked about how low their turnover rate was. You know, they're, they're a really smart team. Um, and I think they came in extremely well prepared for how Carolina was going to play. Uh, they were very focused early on. I mean, outside of really those first two minutes where each team was, was struggling, but, you know, for Dimitri Trice, he's been there five years. You can go back to the, the UNC Wisconsin Maui game and he was playing and he was playing in that game. Uh, and then you have the other guys and sure they don't have, you know, all the tournament experience, but they know the system, they know what they want to do. Uh, they knew their weaknesses and then they focused on how to combat those weaknesses during the game. So, 
you saw a UNC team that was, you know, they were out there playing, uh, but you saw a Wisconsin team that was playing their style, but also looking to negate UNC's strengths. And I think, you know, Wisconsin came out much more focused. Um, and then even when UNC kind of picked it up, Wisconsin, you know, they had that confidence and they knew how to attack and how to defend. And I think all in all, you know, going back to the, the NCAA selection show, when I saw Wisconsin come up, you know, my choice of words was, was not, not meant for uh, uh, the broadcast. And it was because they were just like UVA or Clemson. They were a smart, slow, uh, they're going to play physical, they could shoot. And that's just a team that UNC hasn't been able to deal with. You know, if UNC had made it to Baylor, I don't think they would have beat Baylor, but I think that game would have been a lot more enjoyable just from uh, UNC being able to play with them at least a little bit, a little bit better. So, you know, Trice and all and Davidson, they have four or five years of experience and they came out focused and ready to play. Vip, how does North Carolina get out rebounded against a team who all season had not been a very good rebounding team? They were in the 200s as far as uh, how many rebounds they gave up a game. North Carolina, as we know, was usually top two in just about every either offensive rebounding or rebounding efficiency category that you could think of. How does that happen in a game like this? I think Wisconsin was really well coached to know that Carolina was going to crash the glass hard with its bigs. And then from a, from a defensive standpoint, Wisconsin shot 50%. So there's not too many opportunities for the, for Carolina to grab rebounds when they're inbounding the ball um, a majority of the time. And then I think kind of just going off a lot of the points that others have made so far, it's Wisconsin was a really well-coached team. You look at the eight-man rotation they had. It was six seniors. It was guys who have been here before, knew what to expect. Uh, you take it even further, they were already in Indianapolis um, the week before with the Big Ten tournament. So it was, it was a team that was really comfortable. It was a team that had the leadership. And going back to uh, my podcast I did last week with Justin Jackson, he was saying, like, when you have leadership in a tournament, that's like one of the most important things. It, it, it can trump the, the talent. It can trump the, the five stars and the McDonald's All-Americans. And we saw that on the court. And when you look at this North Carolina team, I would, I would say I was surprised that Wisconsin was able to kind of just run them out of the gym. But I'm not surprised that North Carolina lost the game to a Wisconsin team where their, their MO all season for Carolina has been start slow in a game and try to come back. And when you're in the NCAA tournament, you, you're not going to have as many chances to regroup and get that second chance. And it, it was just a, a bad matchup. Like everybody said, you look at the Ken Palm ratings and they were a top 10 team. You look at another top 10 team like uh, loyal Chicago, who's on their way to the sweet 16. So obviously Ken Palm knows what he's talking about when he's putting together all those ratings. So it was a really bad draw for Carolina with all the reasons that everybody has kind of mentioned. So let's move on from that game Friday night. Let's start looking at kind of the season uh, in the rear view in, in a more complete fashion. Uh, Vip, I'll stick with you. Sherelle wrote a really, really good kind of quick what have you that he posted on late Friday night or Saturday about all the things that went into the season that might have, uh, might have some contributing effects to player departures uh, or, or you name it. But with all of those things that did affect college ball this year, give me one single biggest factor that you feel like affected this team's season. I think it's just the limited 
the limited offseason for a team as young as North Carolina, where they don't have the summer pickup. They didn't have the the exhibition. They don't have the secret scrimmages. So it was kind of that the lead up up to the season where, you know, a team like Carolina, one of the best things all the players always talk about is the summer pickup with the NBA guys. Now they had guys like Tyler Hansborough come back for, for some inner squad scrimmages, but it's not the same as, you know, going up against a five of uh, Joel Berry, Justin Jackson, Marvin Williams, Tyler Hansborough, guys like that, where, you know, it's when you come to Carolina and you're walking around the Dean Dome, you see those guys everywhere. And I think when you, when you look at this Carolina team, they were so young and you look at other young teams around the country, the Kentuckys, the Dukes, um, even a team like the, like Kansas, a lot of those teams went through large periods of struggles this year. It wasn't like Carolina was this outlier in the, the blue buds, um, case of teams that rely heavily on these freshman All-Americans. So I think if you have to single out anything, it's kind of that lead up into the season where a young team like North Carolina can try to figure out who they are before you get into the Maui Invitational and into ACC conference play when, when you're, when you're then trying to figure out, you know, who you are, but at the same time, the level up from high school to college is a uh, incredible leap for, for some of these guys to be making on the fly like that. Yeah, definitely didn't have that, that transition period, but also didn't have that amazing uh, rare learning opportunity that is afforded so many kids that come to the North Carolina program. Sherelle, Sean, either one of you guys have a different major factor that you think was the, the one biggest thing influencing this team season? Uh, I would say, I, I think, the lack of progression from the upperclassmen was a major issue. Um, I think some of the upperclassmen maybe even took a step back, um, not just from numbers wise, but just overall as players. And I think that hurt the team a, a good deal because when you look at the rotation, what is it? It's, you know, six true freshmen. It's, uh, or excuse me, five true freshmen, a redshirt freshman, and then three upperclassmen. Um, and I, I think, you know, you look for, uh, those upperclassmen, Garrison Brooks, Leaky Black, Andrew Playtech, to kind of elevate their game to the next level. And I just, that didn't happen. And so when you combine that not happening with the freshmen maybe not being as advertised or missing, whatever the reason, they weren't exactly quite as good as North Carolina needed them to be for stretches of the season. So when you add all that together, I think that's what caused, you know, kind of uh, some, some major issues is the lack of uh, progression from the upperclassmen and then um, what Vib said with, with the freshmen, not enabling them to, um, you know, get better throughout the season. Sean, do you feel like, is there anything else that you would think, or do you think it's one of the two that, that Vip or Shirelle already went with? Yeah, I mean, all that, all that makes sense. And, you know, you look at a, all the freshmen that were coming in and you look at the rankings and there was really only two you know, top 25 freshmen that had a major impact, Kate Cunningham and Jalen Suggs and everybody else for the most part, very up and down, some a little bit more than, than others. Um, and without one of those two players, uh, you know, going to Sherelle, what, you know, Sherelle mentioned. So, um, you know, at the same time, Garrison Brooks, preseason ACC player of the year, I think a lot of Carolina fans realize he wouldn't have the opportunities that um, most people thought he might. Uh, but at the same time, you look at all his percentages, those were all down. And then finally it comes down to shooting. I think, you know, Curran Walton was, was a bright spot. Uh, but at the same time, they averaged under six made threes per game and shot that at, at 32%. So they didn't really, you know, they did improve from last year, but 
the numbers are all still in the, you know, where they ranked, whether it's three point percentage or two point percentage, free throw percentage, it's all in the, the low two hundreds. Um, and that's not going to, that's not going to get you over the hump. So I think it's a mixture, but we could probably go on forever on, <laughs> on, on this topic. Going off one of the points that uh, Sean made quick, Joey, uh, you look at, the, the freshmen who have succeeded across the country, like uh, Jalen Suggs, like Sean mentioned, you look at the team that is kind of surrounded and it kind of goes back to Rell's point where he has a guy like Corey Kispert, who is a Naismith uh, finalist, a guy like Drew Timmy, who is a Naismith finalist. He has the surrounding talent from those upperclassmen to kind of blend in way better on the roster where the feeling that I've gotten from a lot of people around Carolina, it's like, I understand where people's criticism of Caleb Love and RJ Davis come in, but like, I don't think too many people could have succeeded in the spots they were in with kind of the spacing in this offense. So that's why I kind of give them more of a break when you're kind of assessing um, their performances. And I know Caleb Love was uh, a pretty inefficient shooter this year, but when you just look at the body of this Carolina team and the talent on this Carolina team, um, I, I just think it's, it's hard to, it's hard for a Carolina fan to kind of be like, oh, look at Jalen Suggs over there having success. Why can't Caleb Love kind of match that when the two teams are completely uh, with completely different identities? I think that's fair. And I think both of the points that Sherelle and Sean brought up as potential you know, major limiting factors, I think they were, they're all pretty valid. And uh, like Sean, you said, we, we could sit here and cut up you know, what led to this team's you know, eventual end. Uh, we could do that for a couple hours if we wanted to. Um, I try to keep this one way or another. I'm going to give you a. I'm going to give you guys each an opportunity here to 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 say whether you feel like this team overachieved, underachieved, or did they do who they were? If that makes sense at all, uh, Sean, I'll go to you first, man. I would say that you know, right, right in the middle. Um, you know, they had some games that that they looked good, but they also had some games where it was a struggle to watch. I think coming, you know, going back to our podcast last year, you know, I think we tried to warn that even though last year was bad, this year was not going to be the year they were, you know, competing for a championship. And, you know, the hope was it could be next year. Uh, but we can save that for another question as well. Um, so I would say it, it was right in between um, a lot of struggles. They made the tournament. So that was a definite improvement from last year, but you know, the, the main issue is still the overall talent uh, within, within the team. Um, you know, you have, you have some guys that just weren't competing at what you would, what you would think kind of a top four seed could be. Um, so overall, you know, they had some good games in a very down ACC. Um, you know, they competed with Texas, Iowa a little bit, but they also got run out of the gym by Marquette who didn't win a game afterwards, et cetera. So there were some highs, there were some lows, uh, but, you know, coming in as a eight, nine seed and losing in the first round, I think it would have been nice to see them at least win a game in the tournament. But at the same time, I think, you know, they're, they're right on pace with how a lot of people expected them. Trill, overachieve, underachieve, or did they pretty much show who they were as a group? I would say pushing aside the why, if you just look strictly at what happened on the basketball court, I would have to say underachieve. And I say that because, um, and I'm not trying to be hard on anyone, but, you know, 
what we talked about in the offseason, and I think what Roy Williams said in the offseason was that this team could score, and this team was going to be a much better shooting team than last year, and this offensive you know, balance wouldn't be as much of an issue as it's been in the past couple of years. And that just wasn't the case for, I would say, three-fourths of the season. The offense didn't really start clicking until the end of January, you know, early February. Um, and I think that in part is due to the freshman guards and they just didn't shoot um, the way in which they're capable. I mean, there's no way you're going to convince me that Caleb Love, I think he shot 20 something percent. He's a better shooter than that. Um, but he didn't show it on the court. RJ Davis. I think he was in the low thirties. He's a better shooter than that. And he just didn't show it. I mean, as a team, like uh, Sean said, uh, Vet mentioned they were 38, 31.8% um, from three, which is just 1% better than last year, which was the worst three point shooting team in Carolina history. Uh, by percentage. So I, to me, it, it comes back to that. Like I expected a little bit more from the freshman guards. And then honestly, I expected them to be able to uh, take advantage more of their size inside. And I know people are going to be like, well, they got a ton of offensive rebounds. Well, yeah, because they were missing a ton of shots. So <laughs> that, that thing, that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but I, I would say because of the freshman backcourt, um, not playing quite as well as, as um, we, we would, would have liked competence was what you know, was needed from them. And I think they were, they showed that inconsistently. And then uh, with the bigs, um, I just didn't feel like they did a great job all the time of, of playing with, with the fire to finish around the basket. It seems sometimes they just weren't able to do it for whatever reason, despite a size disparity. So for me, that's why I would say um, underachieve. I, I think they're better than 18 and 11, 10 and 6 in the ACC. I, I understand the reasons why it happened, but if you're talking just strictly what happened on the court, I, I definitely say underachieve. No wrong answers, man. Uh, did you say competence or confidence for the competence, backcourt? Competence. Competence. Okay. But right, confidence, make... confidence breeds competence. So. And, and vice versa. Yeah. I uh, yeah, just want to yeah. make, sure, make sure I got that right for, <laughs> for the listening audience. Sean, uh, what do you feel like this um, – what do you feel like this team lands, man? Like what's – in in terms of of uh ne next year or, or did i just ask you this question already did i did i get lost in my show prep yeah i think you meant that for vip sorry i meant that for vip you guys have you guys switched places on the screen for me i've actually prepped for this i've actually yeah i actually prepped for the show today and my questions are so damn good i've gotten confused as to who i've passed the rock to so far all right sean you're out you're out of the hot spot that's uh that fall starts on me vip same question Overachieve, underachieve, or is this who they were? Yeah, I think um, I come from like a, a realistic perspective of this Carolina team where like, I can understand that this team, they don't have players that would probably even be rotational pieces on the 2016-2017 national championship team um, that are playing 20-plus minutes on this team and expecting them to – uh, major contributor but at the same time you do have a preseason ACC player of the year you do have all the McDonald's All-Americans so even though I think the days are gone where Carolina is this program that's head and shoulders above everybody I would still say this team underachieved um, just just from a talent perspective and um, with everything with everything kind of happening like Carolina wasn't the only team in the country going through everything um, so it's, it's hard for me to say this team didn't do anything but underachieve when you do have, uh, such high preseason expectations and 
kind of all the buzz and it, it like like Rel mentioned it's it's disappointing to see the shooting percentages from some of this team where the only person who was a consistent outside threat the entire season was a guy like Kerwin Walton and when when he starts moving up the page on that scouting report this team looked like they didn't know where to go at times and then I think it's also underachieving because when Carolina found themselves in holes they were able to somewhat dig themselves out. So you saw what this team could right. potentially do and could potentially be. They just couldn't put together a complete game. So I think that's another reason why I have them as underachieving. Yeah, and it, that's a great point, man. If, if they can dig themselves out of these holes, then the flip side of that coin is that they should be talented enough to not let themselves get in the holes to begin with. And I think that's a great point on, on, uh, on them underachieving. I'll be honest, guys. I did not expect anyone to say overachieve, but I have to be um, – <laughs> be fair and biased here on the coast to coast podcast and make sure that I allow all options to be brought to the table. Uh, even if I'm going to screw it up and ask the wrong question to the wrong guy. Um, all right. What went right? What went wrong? Kind of a short answer here, but give me uh, give me one thing or another. Uh, Sean, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What went right? Um, I'm going to go with Armando Baycott. I mean, I think looking at he didn't have a great freshman year, but pieces there that you looked at uh, that kind of led a lot of people to believe you can make the freshman to sophomore year jump. And I think he definitely did. He improved his efficiency. Uh, he, he, I mean, he, he became really the go-to big man of uh, both on, on the floor. So I think he, he was what went right um, in terms of that freshman to sophomore jump. And then in terms of what went wrong, I mean, I think, you know, us on the podcast, we kind of, you know, we didn't predict that Caleb Love would shoot 27%, but I think we did, you know, pump the brakes on, you know, the top 10, top 15, he's going to come in and pull a Kobe White, even Cole Anthony. But at the same time, we were also higher on, on RJ Davis. And as Cheryl mentioned, you know, those guys, they, they brought it in spurts. Um, but at the same time, you know, shooting under 32% from three and turning it over, like they did a lot of the time, uh, you know, I'd say that's what went wrong. Uh, Vip, same thing. What went right? What went wrong? Yeah, what went right? I would say the emergence of Kerwin Walton for this team moving forward, they're going to need shooters. And Kerwin Walton was above and beyond that this year, shooting 42% from three. And then if you, if you take his numbers out of Carolina's team oh, totals, no. I, I I don't even want to see those numbers. It's, <laughs> Bar. it's probably somewhere mid twenties without a guy like Kerwin Walton shooting 42%. So I think him coming onto the scene and proving that he can shoot. So if Carolina can find more floor spacers and more shooters, a guy like Kerwin Walton is going to be a nice piece for this Carolina team. And then what went wrong? I think it's, you're going into next year without a, a true point guard um, who has that feel for the offense. Uh, you saw Caleb Love, who is more of a score first guard. Same thing with RJ Davis. I think this team needs somebody who can kind of set the table for everybody else. I think we saw it kind of in spurts this year with a guy like Anthony Harris. Now, some of the times he was a little too out of control um, with, with some turnovers, but from an IQ standpoint, you could see that he understands what the offense is supposed to be, where other guys are supposed to be, how to set guys up. So I think Carolina to make the leap back to where they were, they're going to need a, a true point guard who can distribute the ball and can kind of set up others 
where a guy like Caleb Love or a guy like RJ Davis, I almost said RJ Barrett. I'm a Knicks fan. So I kind of got RJ Barrett (laughs) on my mind all the time. Um, A guy like RJ Davis can kind of set the table for, for others in this offense. Uh, Sherell from Concord, same question. Uh, I would say that the fact that so many uh, young plus got a ton of experience um, and I know, you know, there are question marks about what next year's roster might look like. I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, but, you know, Roe Williams always talked about experienced talent and something that me and Joey have talked about this entire season is that um, experienced talent has to get the experience to become experienced talent. And I think this year traditionally would be the growing pains year for kind of a major comeback for the program overall as these guys head into their sophomore and junior seasons. Um, so I, I think that is a positive, regardless of what happens in the off season. Um, <clears throat> the fact that Anthony Harris and w- is healthy enough to, to play and that he played a whole season and it didn't seem like anything flared up and that RJ Davis and Caleb Love, I mean, they played major, major minutes for freshmen, uh, more so than, than typically is the, is the case at Carolina. Um, same thing with Dayron Sharp, you know, not sure what he's going to do, but uh, a lot of experience. So uh, I think that is definitely one of the major positives. And then I'll just go back to what I said before uh, on what went wrong. It's just I, I didn't I didn't get the feeling that the upperclassmen led and and kind of um, uh, progressed as players. And I think I, to me that really 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 hurts the team because there's there's so many freshmen and they don't really know what they're doing. They've never been through this, and you add the COVID isolation to it. Um, and there's less of a chance for them to learn kind of um, how Carolina does things from what Viv talked about when you see Tyler Hansborough in the hallway and you see Harrison Barnes in the hallway, you kind of learn how things are supposed to be done. And this group never got the chance. And I, I think the upperclassmen missed an opportunity to kind of, um, in my opinion, to kind of spread that to the younger class. And again, I'm not in practices or anything. So this is from the outside looking in, but that's kind of how it felt from the outside looking in could definitely see that these upperclassmen this year were not the team leaders that the most successful Roy Williams teams, and even all the way back to Dean Smith teams had. Uh, if you look around the country right now, a great example are some of the teams that are winning in the NCAA tournament. It's like, what are, what are their veterans doing? We talked about it with Wisconsin a few minutes ago. Like, what are their veterans doing for this team, not only in the game, but outside of the game? It's a great point. All right, pause. We'll let you guys collect your thoughts. Grab a breather, grab your uh, fruit snack of choice. Uh, Vip, if you need to get a crab leg, feel free. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, give a shout out to Johnny T-Shirt. Allow some of the national guys to insert some of their ads so that uh, they can pay the bills. And we'll come right back and continue this conversation, putting a nice, tidy epitaph on the 2021 UNC basketball season. So before we officially allow national advertisers to show up here, I want to give a shout out to a local advertiser because Inside Carolina is all about local, local being in, being our friends at johnnytshirt.com right on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Johnny T-Shirt, an amazing place for all of the gear. Not some, not a bit, all of the gear that you seek repping the Tar Heel logo, wordmark, or whatever. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt is alumni-owned and operated Big fans of Inside Carolina. They support all of what we do. We want to make sure we're throwing them some love. They got the best prices you're going to find online. And if you are an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you know that you get that 10%. You've been using that 10%. Please continue to do so. Save some money. Get your gear. Baseball team, uh, if you want baseball gear, Johnny T-shirt is your spot. 
baseball team picked up a 2-1 series win at Boston College this weekend. Uh, I mentioned on the radio show yesterday with Tommy, there are five, count them, one, two, three, four, fifth, nationally ranked number one overall sports teams on campus in Chapel Hill. If you like any of those teams, go to Johnny T-Shirt, get their gear. Johnny T-Shirt has it. You name the sport, they've got your gear for your office, your tailgate, your garage gate, your yard gate, whatever you're doing. Uh, maybe not your water gate, but Johnny T-Shirt has any UNC stuff that you want. Hit them up, johnnytshirt.com. Don't forget to use your extra 10% off the top if you're a premium subscriber. Right now, we'll hit a break. Let the national guys air their advertisements, and we'll be back in just one second. What's good? Appreciate you guys sticking around. Thanks for letting us pay the bills. Uh, again, take a second, rate, review this podcast if you like what you're hearing. Uh, it's been a great conversation so far on the Coast to Coast podcast. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, Taylor Viplis, I'm Joey Powell. Kind of looking at what happened for the North Carolina Tar Heel basketball team this year with regard to expectations, where they fit within the overall scheme of, of development of the program, player development on an individual level. All of that stuff is up for grabs. Next thing I want to go to, guys, and Vip, I'll hit you with this one. Was there a single game or a single play that stands out from this year? Maybe something that seems very representative of what this squad was or could have been. And what is that game or play and why? I would say it's the ACC semifinal game against um, Florida State. And I would look at it from a, a whole game perspective where Carolina found themselves trailing early. Uh, they came out flat in an ACC semifinal game where everybody in the, in the country would assume you come out with a little bit extra. Um, they kind of, it looked like they kind of slept walk through the first half. They come out in the second half. They look like a completely different team. They fight all the way back. Uh, you have, you have some guys stepping up, uh, Caleb Love, RJ Davis, uh, Kerwin Walton stepping up and hitting outside shots. And then to, to end the game, the offense kind of just falls bottoms out. They can't score late and a team like Florida State wins and moves on. So I think the the Florida State game in the ACC semi kind of represents where this team was all season, where you saw the highs, you saw the lows. It, it was kind of like a roller coaster in that game. But um, that that would be not going with a, a single moment, but a single game. That's the game I would go with. All right, Sean, what you got, man? Same question. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that game kind of personifies the season. Um, but maybe, you know, in terms of, games on on either side I mean you have the UVA game which you know they're they're coming off uh, a big Duke win and then they go play you know once again a smart slow-paced efficient team that's going to try to make you do what they want to do and they just couldn't couldn't handle it at all um, and then I guess the other one would be the Marquette game where they come in as eight and a half point favorites and I think you know the fans, the players probably thought they were gonna gonna roll, kind of coming in off that big Louisville win. And same thing, really, you know, similar to Wisconsin, they just got beat from the from the get go. Um, and then on the flip side, kind of that Notre Dame game. Uh, once again, that was a uh, you know it was nice watching a three big rotation. Uh, that in in general, that's how UNC is always always played with with kind of three strong bigs. Once you get to four, in general, it just it makes life a lot more complicated and it was fun uh just watching you know the kind of the constant rotation everybody playing at a hard level and you're getting your most efficient players on the court um so 
once again, a lot of a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but I, I do think that Florida State game kind of showed a little bit of everything in it. All right, real. You want to take a shot at it? I think the uh, Duke games um, for a couple of reasons. One, <clears throat> that's two years, two out of three years that they swept Duke, and regardless of the records and all that, um, I think that's important for UNC. <clears throat> and even though this wasn't a vintage Duke team, and I, the, the other reason I say those games is because the first one particularly in Cameron gave you kind of what you thought you might see um, from the freshman backcourt. I believe Kerwin Walton was either four or four or five or five from three in that game. Um, you know, before the season, we probably would have thought that would, would have been RJ Davis, but it was still a freshman guard who did it. And then, you know, Caleb Love looked like an all-star. He looked like, you know, one of the best, you know, scoring guards in the country. And frankly, you know, him coming in, we, you know, we knew there were some question marks, but we thought he'd be a very good player. And so you see them put together that kind of offensive performance. Um, and, and granted, I know it was against Duke's suspect defense, um, but you see them put together that kind of offensive performance and you say, okay, if Caleb can give you, you know, 66% of that, of that efficiency and that scoring and, you know, that, that distribution and that fire, and then Kerwin can come out and hit threes, you know, that changes everything. This team can do a lot. So t- for me, you know, I, I know there are other um, highs throughout the season. Uh, you've, it's hard to believe that this team beat two ACC teams by 40 plus points, you know, within two weeks of each other. It's, I kind of forget about it, but I, I go back to that Duke game just because to me, it showed kind of the full balance of what the roster would look, could look like if, um, or the team would look like if Caleb Love and Kerwin were really on. Yeah. Sean mentioned uh, UVA and it's kind of an unrelated note, but I, I kind of just have to eat humble pie to uh, the IC board. So I'm, I'm probably one of the most vocal Tony Bennett supporters, um, <laughs> coaching high school basketball. I've, I've met and talked, uh, with coach Bennett before. I love the mover blocker offense. I love the pack line defense. And, you know, I, I have to eat humble pie with them going out of the first round in the tournament again. Uh, it's, it's a, a tough one to swallow and just going off, uh, what Mark Titus from, uh, the Titus and Tate podcast said when his, uh, Ohio state Buckeyes went out, the, the haters won today. So congratulations to the haters. Man, I, I should have pre-screened you, Vip, before you came on the show. I would have, <laughs> I would have probably tried to get you to either hide that or keep that off your application, or at least get a get Sean a Quaalude or something so he doesn't like <laughs> watch his head explode on the screen. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate your honesty. We 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 value that as uh, quality here on the Coast to Coast podcast. All right, who was the MVP this year? And and I know it's weird because I think it changed all the time, and I think that change is what caused. UNC's up and down season. Uh, Sherelle, I'll go to you first. MVP of the team this year. Can I cheat? You can cheat. Most most important was Kermit Walton, but the MVP was Armando Baycott. Okay. So so I wouldn't call that cheating. I just call okay. that hedging a little bit. Okay. Either one acceptable. Yeah. Sean, MVP of the season in your mind. Um, I mean, I already talked about Armando. I'm going to go Kerwin just because I think, uh, you know, without – without him being inserted into the lineup and without that shooting, it, it would just would have been a mess of a year and they're probably not making the tournament. Uh, Vip, same question. You cannot say Jay Huff. I was going to say, I was going to say Kerwin. So you are lucky, but <laughs> I think I was listening to Rel before and he was kind of saying um, with a guy like Armando Baycott, you have guys like Sharp and Kessler and Garrison Brooks who can kind of do something similar with a guy like Kerwin Walton. 
he's the only person on Carolina who is a legit shooting threat. So without him, like Sean kind of just said, I don't know where this team would be. I don't, I don't want to imagine where this team would be. Um, I, I love watching these tournament games where, where teams are lighting it up from three and without a guy like Kerwin Wall and Carolina would have uh, been a, a really tough offense to watch, I think. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I don't disagree with either the, either the Armando or the Kerwin stuff. I think Kerwin, if you, as you guys mentioned earlier, you take Kerwin off this roster and it just becomes like runny baby poop on, on film when you want to see that offense. It's, it's not going to be something pretty. It's nothing anybody wants to discuss. Um, but I think either one of those are okay. And I, I do want to commend Armando because we talked about earlier this year on how much he was able to minimize uh, his steps and cut down on the extra movement uh, in his game. And I think that that's what actually helped him become a, a better offensive contributor this year. Um, moving on, this is this is going to be a, a little bit of a more of a word association short answer game. Vip, I'll come right back to you. Give me one word to describe the season and back it up. Um, I'd say disappointing, just because I had a, a a bit higher expectations for for this Carolina team. Um, you know, if they missed the tournament last year. If you would have told me with the, with the buzz around this team and all those freshmen coming in that, and a guy like Garrison Brooks, who was ACC uh, preseason player of the year, you have a guy like Mondo coming back and trying to make that sophomore leap. And even though he did make that leap at times, um, if you would have told me before the season that Carolina would be in the eight, nine matchup um, and not, and I think they finished seventh, maybe sixth or seventh in the ACC in a very down year. So uh, for me, it's it's hard to say that this team was anything but disappointing. Yeah, I think it's it's also being amplified just how bad the league was this year when you watch what's happening in the NCAA tournament these first couple of rounds. Sean, same question. Give me one word to describe the season. I will say frustrating. Um, and I think you can look at that you know, number number of ways. One, offensively, just the the struggle to score the ball um, for the for the most part. Um, you know, frustrating in terms of how they you know really started for the most part. Almost probably eighty five percent of their games where you're getting to that uh, first TV timeout and you have four to seven points. Um, you know, frustrating. Defensively, they finished as a top twenty five defense on Ken Palm, but at the same time, you know, if a team really wanted to to kind of stick it to them. They could, where all you have to do is, is penetrate and kick out. And it seems like you're almost going to get wide open, wide open threes. And then, you know, frustrating with, with just kind of, I'd, I'd say a mixture of the lineups and the players, you never really had, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, you look at Wisconsin and they're still trying to figure out, you know, what, what set of guys are going to work well together today. Uh, Cause each day it was, it was different. Um, and, and then, you know, finally you look at the team and, you know, it was frustrating, you know, I'm, I'm sure for Garrison, just watching his performance, you know, he didn't come back for his senior year to kind of watch everything kind of go down the drain a little bit, but also frustrating, you know, you have Lee Black didn't really, you know, he was getting 27 minutes a game and for the most part teams could just leave on and it wasn't really impacting the game a lot of the time. Um, so I think in general, that, that word can be used over and over in many situations. All right, real. Give me a word. 
I was Googling to see if roller coaster was one word. It's two, but I'm, so I'm going to cheat. So <laughs> well, I, you're hedging I, again. You already yeah, used one, your hedge, man. One phrase, roller coaster, <laughs> uh, just because, you know, are you don't know if they're going to beat Notre Dame by 40. You don't know if they're going to lose to Marquette after coming back from down 16 and halftime to Florida State or if they're going to beat Louisville by 50 or if they're going to go into Cameron and win a close game, if they're going to blow out Duke or, or if they're going to you know, come back against Iowa only to get blown out again. You just, you just didn't know. So it was just up and down the entire season. The meme of Dick Vitale looking all like disheveled, holding the Pepto-Bismol, I think is one that <laughs> most Tario fans can appreciate and at least, at least level with on some sort of internal level. Um, all right. Got a couple more before we wrap this show up. Uh, what needs to change this off season? And I'm, I'm going to ask a little bit of a pointed question here. So, I think Roy's loyalty to upperclassmen may have caused some issues with the rotation this year. I have no inside knowledge. This is just me watching the games, wondering if the bench was too long. I asked it on the radio show yesterday. Um, is Roy's loyalty uh, kind of being a problem with this group in a sense that who's getting the minutes and who's not getting the minutes? And then the larger question there is what needs to change this offseason for this team to improve? Uh, Sean, I'll go to you first. Uh, I'd say, you know, I'd start with yes. Um, you know, going into the season, you heard the quote, you know, no, nobody really has their starting spot. It's going to be, you know, based on last year, I don't want to repeat of last year, but at the same time, you know, as we mentioned earlier, we watched, you know, Garrison and Leakey, um, two very inefficient players this year, get the majority of minutes, you know, at the same time, it wasn't like they're outside of Kerwin, you know, it wasn't like a lot of guards or wings were stepping up as well, but at the same time from the big man, you had a roster that, you know, it's difficult to construct the perfect roster, but you had a roster that had a significant overlap. Um, and once again, it's a lot easier to play three guys and four, but at the time I think we'll, you know, especially depending on what happens, we'll look back at this season and, you know, in a few years and wow, you know, why was Dayron, you know, not getting, getting more playing time. Sure. There is situations you know, he, he wasn't playing well, but at the same time, he, he was always a beast on the boards. He could block shots and just from a size perspective offered a lot, you know, something different that nobody else really did. Same with Kessler. Obviously he took a while for him to come on, but he was still more impactful in the short time that he was getting. Um, and then I think in terms of next year, it's going to be, you know, normally you would say, okay, you know, Sharp's really the only quote unquote NBA prospect. So he's the one with the big decision, obviously this year with, you know, being able to transfer at will, that could be, that could be something. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to have to, you know, I, I think there's only so much improvement this team can make. If everybody came back, they could be very good. But at the same time, if you're still starting a small four that doesn't, doesn't shoot the ball, doesn't, you know, doesn't offer much on offense. I think your ceiling is capped. Um, so I think they need, you know, another legit wing piece. Um, and then I think it'll be interesting to see everybody that comes back. And then to Viv's point earlier in terms of a true point guard, you know, if, if they stay, if they go, but is there a way to get somebody that, that knows how to distribute the ball? But all that's going to be tough. The transfer market's already in, in, in the thick of things. Um, and sure, people are going to come into the transfer board, but, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of fully revamp the roster uh, for next year. Trail, same question. Um, so I think loyalty is, it depends on what side of it you're on. 
usually. Uh, so <laughs> for the seniors, I think the loyalty was great and the upperclassmen was great and they loved it. And, you know, I think they saw some of that same loyalty when they were freshmen and sophomores, maybe to the senior, juniors and seniors. So it is something that just happens at North Carolina. Um, and, and I also want to say too, um, maybe there's something that they saw at practice, you know, that we didn't see. I, I don't know if that's the case, um, but it did seem like, you know, Kessler and, and particularly Sharp probably should have played more minutes or could have played more minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but they have to think about too, if they are ever, you know, juniors or seniors or upperclassmen, that loyalty will be on their side. So it cuts both ways, I think. And people have to realize that too. It's not, one, it's not one-sided. Um, as far as, you know, looking forward, I think Sean, said it kind of perfectly um, in a normal season, you know, in, in normal times, I think everybody's excited right now because you're getting, you know, at least five of your freshmen back more than likely uh, you've got some other returnees. Everybody's going to get a year older, faster, stronger, better shooting in the system. You know, what looks to be like a more normal off season, um, you know, games with pros everybody's excited because it's like oh it's, it's Carolina top 10 team you know can Caleb Love cut down the turnovers and if he does oh he could be first team always you know it's all that kind of talk and this year because of some of the things that you know we've outlined like Sean said with the transfer portal and and COVID and one-time exemption and decommitments and out of your letters of intent all that stuff mixed together um, just makes it uh, a lot of unknowns and the unknown is very uncomfortable uh, so the team I think next year we can't really say, you know, what needs to happen uh, because we don't know who's going to be on the team. And I think once that happens, whether it's, you know, people out of the uh, out of the uh, transfer portal or whether or not everybody stays, I think then we can start to assess. But it's it's kind of impossible to really have any idea of what this team is capable of right now because there are so many unknowns, more than any that I can remember since we've been doing this. Vip, it's up to you. Yeah, when I look at this team, I kind of look at it from a what would I do if I was in one of these coaches' spots. Um, and kind of the, the the biggest thing for me is maybe try to see what Armando Baycott and Dayron Sharp could have looked like as um, the front court together. I think they were good in their limited minutes. But mm-hmm. I also come from the perspective that uh, I, I've never won 900-plus college basketball games. Roy Williams is a Hall of Fame coach and he's forgotten more about basketball than I'll most likely ever know or ever come close to knowing. So I, I also have that that trust in him that he is putting the best product on the court, um, whether whether or not it looks like that at times and kind of just how how the players feel about um, the the playing time distribution. I, I was like a lot of people who, who looked at uh, Rell's um, scoops. And I think the, the, the most troubling one that I saw was just that some, some people didn't feel that um, practice results and scrimmage results kind of translated into um, playing time. And I just think of it from a football perspective, how I would feel on the team. It's like when you go out there, you want to feel like, your team has the chance to win. And if people in the locker room or people's family in the locker room don't feel that way, then I think it, it is a little troubling. But at the same time, I, I do uh, concede to the fact that Roy Williams knows a heck of a lot about basketball and he his system has worked. He has the, the rings to 
back that up. So it, it, it is kind of a, a tricky situation when you get into loyalty and, and playing time for this Carolina team. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, his, his reputation speaks for itself. There's only, you know, three other coaches in the NCAA who have as many or more wins than Roy Williams does. So uh, I, I will say, looking at some of the replies to Sherelle's scoop, I mean, if you ever want to develop a, a manic or some sort of emotional disorder, go through and read all of those responses at once and then try to, like, step away and, and think about your own feelings. You, uh, you'll actually feel your heart start to explode. Um <laughs> And let me jump in, Joey. I'll say too, I think part of the reason that uh, the fan base is reacting like that, because this is all new. It's all yeah, new to absolutely. us covering. It's all new to the coaching staff having to experience it. Um, and frankly, you know, it's new to the players as well. So um, I think we're all trying to figure out exactly how this works because it's just not something that has really ever happened at Carolina basketball. Like, right. yeah, players have talked about doing other things or going other places and have worried about the NBA and all that for decades. But um, the combination of all the things that we mentioned before has never existed. And so it's trying to figure out how to, just like we've been for the last year, trying <laughs> to figure out how to navigate all this new stuff. And I understand why people are, or it, it might make people uh, upset, frustrated, angry, whatever, you know, uh, whatever word you want to use. I, I, I get it. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important that fans realize that, just how difficult this year was for so many people, um, not just them as basketball players, but just them as people. Um, just, you know, having no college life whatsoever. Like, can Nothing. you imagine being a freshman at Carolina and not having anything? Like, you don't go to a classroom. You don't go to Lenore. You, I, I'm old. I'm sorry. You don't go to whatever new fancy building they have to eat at. You don't <laughs> go to football games. You know, you don't walk out in front of the crowd. You don't go in the yard. Just a, a thousand experiences that we all cherish and remember about our time and took Carolina for granted. and took for granted these they didn't get it and so there's nothing tying them like you know what we have or, or players in the past there's nothing tying them to to North Carolina in, in the same way because they've lived an NBA lifestyle for the last you know nine and a half months it's hotel it's gym it's game it's hotel gym game repeat um, and Vip knows I mean he's been around a lot of basketball players they aren't the first these aren't the first basketball players to consider you know something else Vip knows that personally um so I just want to make sure that the fan base understands that um that there are there aren't as many anchors um for these guys as, as there are for other people in the yeah past. somewhat related I was just curious uh to ask Varel, you know what is it like when you are about to put out a scoop like that do you do you feel the power that you have and know the ensuing chaos that's going to occur because I think within I would say 30 minutes of you posting that I had texts from people being like what's going on what's going on I had people on the the golf trip that I'm at like what do you know what do you know so so what is it what is it like from you when you're about to hit post on that Rel MZ, man. He's Rel MZ. It's not TMZ anymore. It's Rel MZ. <laughs> um, it's, you know, me and Ben, it's a lot of work, honestly, because when I tell you that we like think about every single word that's in there, like we think about how every single word in there is going to be interpreted and how it might be taken literally or, or taking metaphor. You know, we think about all that stuff. Um, and, you know, to go inside baseball, like we had planned to do this on Monday. Um, we thought, you know, even if they won Friday, that um, probably the season was going to end on Sunday. So no matter what, we wanted to have something ready to go on Monday. And then as it, you know, as the really at halftime, I was like, Ben, we should probably go ahead and start, you know, 
<laughs> finishing this off, you know, at halftime. So I worked on it, you know, we worked on it pretty much all the second half. And then as some tweets started to come out um, in the post game and just other noise, we thought, well, you know, people trust us to give them solid information that that is you know the key tenant one of the key tenants of ic of is objective analysis and um source you know trustworthy information so we wanted to make sure that we got that out to say hey we know you've heard this stuff and we can tell you some of this stuff is you know people are considering it we can tell you that for sure we're not going to tell you anything else much right now because frankly i don't think anyone knows this stuff goes up and down um so that was kind of the, the evidence for it. it you know we're, we're held to it. I think we hold ourselves to a, a different standard than, than some. And so we needed to put our sourcing and, and background and all that behind it um, just because it was going to come out one way or another. And I think for our readers, I think they would have been disappointed if they read it on a, you know, Instagram story or a Twitter feed, like, oh, this person is considering this. I think that would have been disappointing for them. So that's why we wanted to go ahead and get it out. And honestly, it's, I, I wouldn't say you know, it's just, it's part of the job now. And I, I do enjoy the passion of Carolina fans. Um, and I, I appreciate them reading, but uh, we just want to keep them informed. And I'll be honest, I don't know how you do it, man. I mean, I, I appreciate <laughs> the, I appreciate the measured and tempered uh, approach that you and Ben have to this. And this is not me just stroking you because we're all one big ICC, IC family. Um, but I think the subscribers and, you know, and our listeners to, to this podcast and, if you're watching on YouTube need to understand there was a need to put that out Friday night. Rel didn't want to just throw a post up there. There was a need to put that out because like he said, there's, there's tenor going on around the program and I don't know any of it, but by the same token, he's not going to go out there and put something that hasn't been confirmed or especially when a decision hasn't been made yet. Right. And right. I think that's the biggest thing. I just want to make sure folks listening to this show take away today that, they're not going to report on something if there's nothing to report on, but they do need feel the need to lay out the the potential because there's never been anything like this around Carolina basketball before. Uh, Carolina basketball before, period. Right. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, boys, into the home stretch here. Uh, what's next, right? Like, and I, I'm going to give you all a chance to try to caveat on where you think you know and where you think things or players are going to go with the big disclaimer that we don't know any of this right now. There's nothing confirmed. You know, this is basically just what we could see happening, what may or may not take place, but it's, uh, you know, what do you think things are going to look like in the next six weeks to six months? Vip, you're up first as the new guy. Put me right on the spot. I, I yes, love sir. it. But uh... that inter <laughs> interrogation room light shines bright <laughs> on the first. Yeah, I think kind of like, like Roy Williams mentioned in one of his press conferences, like this is something unlike anything we've ever seen in college basketball. And it's going to be one of the biggest um, it's going to have one of the biggest impacts on college basketball, this one-time transfer rule. Um, but if I had to kind of guess with almost next to no information, it's hard for me to see um, somebody like Daron Sharp returning. If he does get a, a lottery to, late first round pick um, just because if, if I was in that perspective, I kind of look at it that way. If, if you're offering me the chance to move on to my ultimate dream and get the chance to make millions of dollars. And like, once you're, once you're in the NBA, it's all about what team drafts you, the fit, and then just kind of 
proving yourself. And, you know, to me, being a, a mid first round pick isn't really worth coming back to school when you're telling me maybe I could jump up five, five or 10 picks, even though I, I do understand um, the financial impact that does come if you if you do improve your stock. Um, and then I it's it's hard to imagine people not transferring. Um, I don't I don't really know where to start or who to start because I, I'm not inside that locker room. I don't know. Um, how exactly people feel, but I think you can see people who, who do think they should have a bigger role on the team. Um, kind of, kind of to me, like if, if someone I had to pick, if I had to pick one person that I think could potentially transfer, it would be a guy like Sterling Manley, who you look at a guy like Brandon Huffman last year, who is sitting on the end of the bench and wants to prove that he could play. Now, I, I, I think the thing I always see on the board from people is like, why would you want to leave North Carolina? Like, a lot of these players like love, love their sport more than they love the school, I guess, um, because we had a ton of players in football that went on to transfer because of they wanted to play like it, it, there was no problem with the coaches. There was no problem with their teammates. It was just the fact that a lot of these guys understand that they have two to three years, maybe to play the sport at their highest level still. And they want to maximize that opportunity. And that kind of, it kind of uh, precedes whatever degree you can get from a school. And I think capitalizing on that window matters to a lot more people. Um, but it, it's hard for me to not see players transfer out of North Carolina with this one-time rule. And then I think on the flip side of that, once people's decisions start to get made, if Carolina starts to get active in this transfer uh, window, like I mentioned earlier, I think they need to go get a, a true pass first, set the table kind of point guard. They need to get a lot more shooters um, to space the floor for these. Um, if you do have a guy like Caleb Love or a guy like RJ Davis stick around these, these attack first guards to where when they're driving, they're not driving into uh, a Garrison Brooks, a Dayron Sharp, all these guys kind of clogging the paint or um, – the defender sagging off leaky because he's shooting in the 20% from three. So I think Carolina has to be active in, in getting that point guard and, and getting more shooters for this team to, to get back to where Carolina basketball uh, should be in a lot of fans minds. Great breakdown. Sean, what do you feel like is next? Great question. I mean, I think I would agree. Dayron Sharp, uh, you know, there's been a ton of stuff on the message boards on, you know, should somebody go or should they stay, you know, what's their ceiling, et cetera. You know, obviously he would get drafted in the first round if he went this year. I still think me personally, if he came back, um, you know, he has a lot of room for improvement, not saying that he wouldn't improve whoever drafts him, but I think he has one more year where he is, you know, kind of the man almost in, in the, the front the front court, I think he could significantly improve from, you know, kind of a late first round to potential lottery. Um, at the same time, if, you know, when he does get into the NBA of, you know, having an impact, like you're seeing a lot of guys, you know, like a, a Halliburton or some of the older guys that come in are playing versus just, you know, being sent to the G basically, you know, you're a G league player for a year, but I think he probably, you know, most likely he's going to go, which, which, you know, would love to watch him for another year. Um, you know, we, we, he was committed, but he was committed. He would have been at Carolina. Um, I think Caleb Love will probably test, um, you know, for the most part, why, why not? Uh, but 
once again, he he's fallen off of any, any draft radars and it's not even, you know, sure physically he, he fits the build, but unlike Dayron, I don't think you'd have a team willing to, you know, jump in and say, Oh, I'd love to get him in the system. You know, we can throw him in our G league team for a year, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, Armando Baycott, uh, you know, when I first saw him play in high school, I was like, Oh, this is a perfect Carolina recruit. Cause he won't, you know, he's, he doesn't have those NBA intangibles. So he'll be here long-term versus a one and done guy. But I think, you know, he's best buddies with Cole Anthony and a lot of the guys he, he played against are in the NBA slash G league. So, you know, I could see him going. I, I think he could do himself um, much better in the long run. If he comes back one more year after seeing the improvement he made from his freshman and sophomore year, but I could see him testing um, and, and 50, 50 on what he does. And then, you know, in general, they, they need more shooters on the wing um, and they need to be active in the transfer market. But at the same time, they're at a little bit of a disadvantage because they're waiting for everybody to kind of make decisions and, and see where everything fits versus being able to be, um, you know, proactive in this market. And then, you know, finally, a lot of the teams you see doing really well this year, they, you know, they did very well because a lot of their guys that tested decided to come back, um, mm -hmm. you know, in July, August, and you have a Baylor team, Jared Butler could have gone, obviously Illinois, <laughs> Illinois got home, you know, <laughs> sent home early, but they, they still had the best season they've had since 2005. And that was due to two guys coming back at the end. So I don't know, it could, we could be talking about this for, for a while. Um, but, you know, it, it would be fun watching a lot of these guys come back and seeing them, seeing them improve. And want uh, listeners to know before I kick it to rail, uh, there is still that option where players can hire an agent, declare and come back. Uh, if, if, and there's also, which we assume is going to pass the one-time transfer exemption rule. So the flip side of that transfer exemption rule is, yeah, there may be some players that opt to, to leave North Carolina, but there also may be some players who want to come play at North Carolina uh, on that transfer rule. So don't look at it as just kind of a, a glass half full thing. That's it's one reason it's hard for us to think about because there's never been this before. Jarrell, same question to you, man. Um, I think for the Carolina partisans, uh, you know, the NBA draft process isn't your enemy. I think it can actually be your friend. I'm looking at Vip in the corner. He knows someone very mm -hmm. close to him who went through that process. And because they went through that process, I think it made them a better player. And I think it made them a lot of money um, because they got a lot of feedback about, you know, this is what you need to do. This is where we think you can improve, uh, that kind of deal. And so I think there's no reason for I mean, really any, I mean, I know Calipari uh, Kentucky likes to make a sideshow of and say, Oh, <laughs> the entire team is going to test for, you know, the NBA draft process. But I think there's no harm in, in Carolina's players doing it because they will get, they'll get the most honest feedback that maybe they've gotten in a while. And it'll be, it won't be the same voice because I think anytime you're, you're in any kind of uh, on any kind of team, whether it's at a corporation or a basketball team or, you know, wherever you work at, what, no matter what it is, you get tired of hearing the same voice telling you the same thing over and over. But if you hear someone else tell you, you say, oh, okay, that's a great point. Um, so I think that can help UNC for the players to hear maybe some of the things that they need to improve on from certified NBA front office personnel and scouts. So it, the NBA draft process isn't the enemy of, of Carolina fans. I think it can actually help them, um, you know, in the future. And then I would say, to, just to echo what, what Sean and Vip said, um, <clears throat> definitely, no matter what happens, I think they need to add some additional shooting. 
Uh, DeMarco Dunn is the freshman who's going to kind of be designated for that. I don't know if he is um, 100% ready to come in and, and be a major contributor, but he'll be there. And then, you know, there's going to be so much talent. Uh, again, I, I, I don't mean to repeat it over and over again, but uh, just think, take, take the scenario. So just say you're a random college and you have a couple of really good seniors and they now have the ability to come back. But you also signed a really good freshman class and your school was in a financial situation that they cannot afford to pay for 15 scholarships. They have earmarked for 13 and that's all they can pay for because the NCAA isn't going to give schools money to pay for the quote unquote super seniors. So those two players either decide to move on or say, let me go somewhere else where maybe I can get some more exposure or I can be on a great team. So that's one way talent can come. There's going to be decommitments. We've seen players decommit from Power Five schools that they didn't visit, um, who committed during, uh, you know, COVID. So there's going to be that. There's going to be guys who ask out of their letter of intent. There's going to be the traditional transfers. There's going to be the graduate transfers. So that's five kind of markets, for lack of a better phrase, um, that will be open to Carolina this year. Whereas usually there's They've never taken a scholarship traditional transfer, so that's usually not there. Usually they look for decommitments and graduate transfers. So instead of kind of two buckets or two places to quote unquote shop, they have five now. Um, so I think they're going to end up with some talented players, but they need to be people who can shoot because that <laughs> supplements, I think, the, the roster, um, regardless of what it looks like, that will supplement some of the guys who may be back best. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good synopsis from the three of you guys. All right. Parting shots. We'll start uh, Start with Sherelle. I'll, I'll let you take your last stab at anything that we may not have touched on tonight that you feel like as a part of the 20 and 21 season has to be said here on this show. Uh, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the first shot at the last shot. I would just say, uh, like I said before, for experienced talent to become experienced, it has to get the experience. Uh, so just remember that. And then just give people grace. It's been a year for everyone. And that includes Ooh. basketball players. So, um, you know, I saw what happened with EJ Liddell and it, it's sickening. Um, so I would just say, give, give people some grace to whether or not they're basketball players or just people, you know, um, we need more of that. Yeah, man. One love. Appreciate you saying that. Sean. I mean, it was, you know, with, with everything that happened last year, obviously Carolina's season had come to an end with Syracuse, but, you know, just going through that whole spring summer period without basketball, it's been fun. Uh, watching the games in the Dean Dome. Um, it, it was fun watching some fans get, get into the Dean Dome at the, at the end. And uh, even though the season ended shorter than everybody hoped, you know, it was fun just watching the product on the floor, right? the frustrating nature of it at times. And, and hopefully, you know, um, some positive things can transpire over the offseason. And Vip, I'll give you one last shot, man. Anything you feel like needs to be touched upon that maybe we didn't do today? Yeah, before the before everything that happens in the offseason, I would just tell people just just enjoy the NCAA tournament. I've seen a lot of people kind of just down on college basketball as a whole. And, you know, when I'm watching this tournament, like it's it's still awesome. You have to keep in mind that for with the play in teams like 67 teams, your season's going to end in heartbreak and frustration and disappointment. Um, but when I'm still watching this college basketball tournament, it kind of reminds me why I love the sport so much when you watch an Ohio take down or Virginia, uh, you watch Shaka smart and Texas come down in the first round. Shrill's <laughs> uh, heart hurts to hear that, by the way, just, just be tread lightly when you're going through that. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, for me, it would just be just just enjoy the the college basketball tournament. Uh, use this time to kind of mentally prepare yourself for whatever could happen with transfers coming in, coming out either way. And just kind of remind yourself why, why you love college basketball so much and, and start cheering for some underdogs. I'm on uh sister jeans team in Loyola <laughs> Chicago. I've, I've got my gear coming in and maybe also get a Gonzaga, the white on white jerseys they were wearing. Those are, those are pretty sick. So I'm, I'm on uh Mark few and uh Loyola Chicago side right now. Hey man, if, if Gonzaga can't do it this year, just, it's not going to get done. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there have been some good stories to watch. Uh, aside from, uh, aside from Sister Jean, which I think we'll all be inundated with very soon. But um, you know, I, I was I was glad to see some other teams, and I, I like seeing Syracuse win. I mean, I'm not a fan of of the zone is for cowards approach, but I I, I do like them. I do like um, I, I do like a lot of the other underdog teams that are playing right. Now. I mean, Abilene Christian was fun to watch. Right. I mean, just despite the result and who they're playing against, that's fun to watch. Um, the kid with the my name is Earl mustache playing for Loyola. Like that's <laughs> th- that's fun to watch. Right. So there's there's a lot of positivity. And, and I want to kind of tag on to what Vip said there. Look, there's going to be some turmoil this season. North Carolina is not going to be immune to it, as Sherelle said a thousand times on this podcast. Uh, just lock in. Enjoy what you get to enjoy. Just think that last year we didn't have this tournament. Uh, be appreciative of the kids that do play for for your school or your program, and be appreciative of the ones that have a chance to go somewhere else to do what they think is better for them or their situation. Because if we were wearing those shoes, we'd be doing the same exact thing. Uh, boys, I appreciate the time, the insight. As always, you guys really bring it uh, to the listeners and subscribers out there. We will continue to uh, we'll continue to record right now and and give you guys updates as recruiting becomes different. You know, we just talked about what's going to happen over the next six weeks to six months. So no clue where that's going to go, but we will, um, we will do what we can to get you guys all the information that we can get our hands upon when we can get it. Stay locked in InsideCarolina.com for all of the news as it comes. We appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you listening to us. Appreciate you watching us for those of you on YouTube tonight, but for new guy, Taylor Ripless, new here, he's not, not new to IC, but new here. Um, for Taylor Ripless, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, I am just Joey Powell. Thank you to John Sigley for producing, to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Shout out to Jimmy's Famous Seafood up in Balmer. We will catch you guys on the next episode of the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Bye. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.